0: Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's only a kick. (laughs) A jump.
1: A block. It's only a serve. It's only a
2: tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That's me. With me, as always, Ravens flocking, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on?
2: Just the mixed emotions of having your uh, alma mater being crushed in your favorite football team, winning
0: impressively all in one weekend. Yeah, it's a lot of mixed emotions, a lot of cognitive dissonance there for anyone else who might be Notre Dame and Baltimore Ravens fans. I'd imagine you're processing (laughs) a lot of complex emotions out there. And we're going to try and help you through those because if that Venn diagram happens to be a complete circle for you, you've got to have some interesting innards right now. Thankfully, we've got the time and the means to do that here today. As always... Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. Leave us a five-star rating and as a review. Check us out on YouTube. We appreciate everyone going over there. The Lamar Jackson interview last week certainly helped a lot of you find out that that existed. So the DraftKings YouTube channel, subscribe to it. Check out the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. playlist there and come see us. We have Marshall Newhouse, former NFL offensive lineman who's going to stop by. TCU, great, going to help us. React to a lot of the Sunday slate because, Brandon, you and I were talking about it off air. What a rush having it back. I was in Stillwater, Oklahoma for the game that I called this weekend, Oklahoma State getting a win over ASU. I landed at about 9.30 local out here, so was basically in a mad dash to get home, walked in my door 15 minutes after the 1 o'clock NFL window had started, and... It was just on from there, as you know, we've heard from Brent Venables, we were drinking it through a fire hose this weekend. And honestly, it felt great. It felt phenomenal. But it's just a ton to process on the back end.
2: Yeah, you're, you're right. It felt it felt great. But also at the same time, I felt like, OK, I'm enjoying this as I normally do. And that feels wrong. Like I'm going to miss something because I usually do, because that one o'clock window is so crazy and a lot of stuff happened.
0: The, witch, the witching hour, having Scott yes. Hansen in the Red Zone channel or Andrew Siciliano, depending out, depending on which house you were affiliated with, that witching hour, the end of the 1 o'clock NFL window, when wins become losses and losses become wins, was batshit crazy. We had a tie go on between the Colts and the Texans. We had a bunch of missed field goals out there by pretty much everyone in every yep. game in that window. Brandon, the other thing that I found out this weekend was, man alive, did I suck. At making picks this weekend. We may yes. be an officially fade gojo territory mm. after a two and four start to the college season last weekend. And now a combined the fixed six picks we gave out on Friday here. We, the Royal We, I gave out yes. on Friday, hand mm-hmm. up accountability here. Just didn't do it, man. Oh five and one on the weekend. Notre Dame minus 20. Eh, Anthony Richardson over 59 and a half rush. Mm. Eh, UNC minus seven was a push. And then Baltimore, New York over 44.5. 49ers minus seven against Chicago. And Carolina minus one and a half. It was ugly. Just to give you an idea, Brandon, I went 05 and 1 this weekend. New head coaches in the NFL went 5-2-1 this weekend. They had a phenomenal opening stanza Damn. to the NFL season. They put in the work during the preseason. And clearly, I've got to go back and assess the formula right now. So, everyone, you're on Fade Gojo Watch. You could still potentially make money. I might even try and fade me next week. We're going to go back to the drawing board and try and figure this out. Yeah, actually, Mike,
2: like you said, through the fire hose, we don't have really time for to look up things. We don't have time for next
0: week. I think it's fake Gojo territory starting this week. So you're all on alert. You've all been warned. I appreciate the support in these trying times. I'm working through it. We're going to get 1% better each and every day on this podcast. But Brandon, the only people that may have had it worse than me this weekend, the Dallas Cowboys, because man alive (laughs) Sunday night just kept going from bad to worse for the Dallas Cowboys, they go out and lose an absolute stinker. I mean, after an exciting day of football, the Sunday yeah. night game was an absolute bore. Tampa True. Bay and the Dallas Cowboys. So we talked about it last week. Tons of storylines. Dak Prescott coming into the season healthy, not rehabbing for the first time. Tom Brady retires, misses days during training camp. Julio Jones and Kyle Rudolph sign down there. All this stuff. And in the end, we get a 19-3 win for the Bucks played in Jerry World that was largely a grinder. A Cowboys team that last season averaged about seven accepted penalties game had 10 tonight, which drew a ton of Boo Birds in Jerry World. And then the icing on the shit cake for them on a night where all of the Cowboys glaring issues that they didn't address this off season, surprise, surprise, showed up. It was the, I think you could leave. We're all trying to find the guy who did this. As they didn't have wide receivers who could separate, as Michael Gallup still not back out there after recovering from injury, CeeDee Lamb basically on an island, the offensive line came in banged up and got even more banged up as Connor McGovern went down very early in this game. Yeah. All of that. Already, already bad. The penalty's already bad. And then to top it off, Dak Prescott, late in the game in the fourth quarter, follows through on a throw, ends up getting his throwing hand hit, and we find out after the game, according to Jerry Jones and a number of others reporting, that now Dak Prescott is going to have to have surgery. Jerry Jones told reporters after the game, Prescott will be out while he needs surgery on his right thumb. It should be a matter of weeks. As far as the timeline for his return, Brandon, this is one of those we already knew coming into the season there was going to be a unique amount of pressure on Dak Prescott, and we said Friday he was going to have to hold this thing up while everything else had gone to shit around him, more or less. The defense right. showed out in certain parts. Micah Parsons had two sacks and looked like the best player on the field for the majority of the game. This already feels like a death knoll for the Cowboys' season, and by proxy, Mike McCarthy's job has to be looking less and less secure by the day.
2: Rightfully so, Mike. I, we always talked about this Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard back and forth. I didn't know they were both going to start, Mike. I didn't know they were going to have packages with both of them being uh uh, a slot, one being a slot receiver and the other one acting as an actual running back or a fullback in running back situation, halfback, back situation. And in a time where I usually connect Notre Dame and the Cowboys, losing in the way that they lost in Sunday Night Football game opener feels connected to how we lost to Marshall. And it's it's like, it, it, I like when these things happen earlier though for these fan bases, Mike, especially us. It's like, let this happen earlier so I can reset my uh, championship aspirations and just watch a good football team figure it out or watch a football team become a good football team how about that
0: yeah I'd say that similar in the fact that you're going to have fan bases that are certainly primed to overreact to what goes on with each different in that one is a few years now into the regime are the Dallas Cowboys one is a team that you know didn't have a lot of major change at the key positions head coach quarterback all these things and lost to an opponent in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that we expect to be one of the three best teams in the NFC this season Marshall while the Sun Belt will get a ton of respect and always has I called Thursday night football for a long time I love me some fun belt I have an over I called I called Marshall's bowl game last year when they played in the Louisiana and the New Orleans Bowl I get it And we'll get to plenty of that. We're going to have so much college football to get to that that will likely come up tomorrow because it was a hellscape weekend for so many programs. Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Wisconsin, Nebraska, all of us are going to have to hold some sort of therapy meeting or go (laughs) and just lay it all on the line together in a support group because... It was hell in a cell. Scott Frost has been fired by Nebraska now. We'll get into some of that. Spencer Hall is going to join the show tomorrow from the shutdown full cast as that deserves its own bit of day to parse through. And we've got so much NFL news, we don't want to try and muddy the waters too, too much here. But we'll get some Notre Dame reaction as well uh, after we talk to Marshall Newhouse a bit because there are some things i got to get off my chest when it comes to the some of the noise around this program. But back to their NFL counterpart, Brandon, because you mentioned that with the Dallas Cowboys, I can understand the reaction a lot more for them. Because, again, at least Notre Dame was filled with a bunch of hope this offseason. College recruiting makes it such a different conversation around these programs. And you've got a coach who's doing this for the first time in his first year. Mike McCarthy was supposed to be a proven product. The reason that you went after him when you were Jerry Jones, was because you wanted a guy who had Super Bowl champion on his resume. He had convinced you that analytics were in the binder now and yada yada. And now you've got this looming specter of Sean Payton sitting out there. Like, I bet that dude's phone was melting tonight. Blowing up with calls from Dallas area codes or at the very least texts and tweets from people who all saw what we were seeing here, which again, I, I brought up the penalties almost first and foremost, Brandon, because when you look at the effect that coaching can have, it's overall team discipline is one of the first places that you start, right? I did a college football game where Herm Edwards, Arizona State Sun Devils, who have been embroiled in a lot of off-the-field drama surrounding recruiting violations and coaches leaving the program, they were a heavily penalized team last year. They were a heavily penalized team this weekend, and it gave them no chance to win the game that they were playing on the road in a tough environment. Same with Dallas. You're already too beat up across the board. You had another offensive lineman go down, a rookie who had to kick out to tackle after he had been working guard to start there, and a bunch of weapons that really – Yeah, a bunch of weapons that Dak Prescott ended up playing down to most of the game. That was Mm. a sloppy, uneven performance for Dak Prescott that now gets compounded by the injury up front. But all of that lack of discipline that showed up in a lot of the pre-snap and procedural penalties and has been the story now for a while, it's hard to look anywhere else but the head coach. And I don't like calling for people's jobs, but I won't act surprised. When Mike McCarthy is potentially shown the door, if the season continues to progress this way, and right now we're talking about them hitting, you know, I almost said the NFL's transfer portal. It's called, it's called going, you know, it, it's what it feels like at this point. But right. they're going to be see. probably in the market for going out there, and we've seen everyone tweeting about Jimmy Garoppolo already. We've yeah. seen Gardner Minshew memes pop up out there. They're all viable candidates, especially if this is four to six weeks and not two to four weeks when it comes to the thumb surgery for Dak Prescott because they talked about who else is on the uh, the roster. Will Greer is on the practice squad, former Florida and West Virginia quarterback who I think has been yeah. in the league a couple of years now. And then Cooper Rush, who was activated off the practice squad today for the game or yesterday for the game. And went in there in Dak Prescott's stead at the end. So the cupboard is bare. And you know Jerry Jones isn't going to just take this lying down. And accept a season where he's tanking for picks. And so they'll likely make a move for somebody. But all of that still feels like given all the other issues on that roster. Especially offensively right now. A real shuffling deck chairs in the Titanic type, type deal.
2: Yeah, but also I, we'll get to Trey Lance, but... The way he performed, I don't know if the 49ers are ready to deal Jimmy G just yet, Um, but wasn't Kellen Moore supposed to be this guy who was going to be groomed to be the next head coach? He was like too young, so you you gave him the offensive coordinator position. And aside from some random Dak Prescott out of this world games, where they probably still lost those games anyways, but the numbers were crazy, I feel like we haven't seen a lot from Kellen Moore to uh, allow him to get anointed or get uh, crowned or kinged or knighted to that head coaching position because the offense really hasn't done much with it. I don't know if we want to blame Zeke Elliott or the the dual running back situation, but I don't see a lot of production from that offense. Uh, Amari Cooper absence aside.
0: Yeah, uh, and listen, they, that's another one of those moves this offseason that's going to be tough for them to answer for, right? Letting Amari, Getting rid of Amari Cooper, getting rid of Lyle Collins at right tackle who's now playing for the Bengals. All of those are things that they have to answer for. And Brandon, like, you can't just blame one person. Like, Yeah, there have probably been times when Kellen Moore has underachieved as a coordinator relative to what we wanted from him, but we just talked about all of the inj- injury and influx of new bodies on the offensive line that we know True. was the foundation of this offense for so long. I like getting Zeke and Tony Pollard on the field at the same time. Tony Pollard got plenty of that work when he was in college at Memphis. Like He knows how to operate in that role. And if you don't have a ton of playmakers at receiver right now, you better get those guys on the field. Like Zeke True. looked good in stretches. He led them in rushing in this game, but... We know with Zeke it's a lot more about the contract. Like His production would be a different conversation if he weren't paid the contract that has aged about as poorly as anything in recent memory. And we're a show that loves watching guys get paid, but the facts are the facts as far as the burden that that has been a part of on this team. So it's been really going back to... Brandon the seeds of this all started when Jerry Jones and this organization dragged their feet on getting a long-term deal done with Dak period and they did that deal for Zeke before that and they did a bunch of those other contracts before you got to the quarterback and people always say the quarterback contract hamstrings you I think it provides clarity that they desperately needed because again the roster management that's gone into the team heading into this year has been sorely lacking and I think it's a all goes back to a ripple effect of waiting so long to pay your quarterback. And now you're going to have to deal with the injury there and try and supplement it. But again, with the Eagles coming out and you know getting a good win week one and at least looking healthy and competent and having the roster around Jalen Hurts that they do, that feels like it's going to be a tough sell. Carson Wentz and the Washington football team or the commanders, whatever the hell they are, were able to – I mean, they were a walking example of call the ambulance but not for me – but then call it for me, but then not for me, (laughs) because they died and came back to life about nine different times in that game against the Jags. I still don't know if Carson Wentz... You know what Carson Wentz is? Carson Wentz is the NFL's Bo Nix. We know exactly what he is Mm. at this point. We know the flashes of really good. There were some impressive throws, like some second-contract-ass throws from Carson Wentz that make you see why people took a chance on him for so long. And then there was a bunch of the other stuff that popped up. And at this point, he is who he is now. He's too far gone in a career to expect him to change. And so if you're Washington, you you did what Oregon did. You brought Bo Nix in the transfer portal saying, we need someone to come in and play this position. We think it can be an upgrade over what we have, in this case, Taylor Heineke in that quarterback room. And it's going to land you, I mean, at this point, somewhere slugging it out with the Cowboys. But the Giants got a win today. Brian Daypole went out there and coached aggressively in their win against the Tennessee Titans. Speaking of my bad gambling weekend, knocked me out of my uh, survivor pool for the year in week one. Which is really not chill. Mike, I'm sorry about that. You chose the AFC South team week one? (laughs) I mean, they're playing the Giants. They're playing the Giants.
2: A fair but i was gonna i was gonna say the other team in the nfc uh east is the call the ambulance but not for me was the giants like i was very surprised at them they were staying alive in a very giants way in the way that didn't seem threatening until the very last second you're like oh shit are they are they a competitive football team I mean, and, it was, and, and before we get too deep into that, let's go back to the Sunday Night Football game because what you said was right. The Bucs looked good.
0: The Bucs did. You know what the Bucks did? They did what Dallas, and at some point towards the end, just wasn't going to be able to. Because say what you want about the Bucs injuries that we've talked about in this season, all yeah. along the offensive line. They did the graphic yeah. on the broadcast of the pirate ship, which, by the way, speaking of the broadcast, Chris Collinsworth fucking battled through that one. That guy's voice was gone. He sounded like he had smoked a pack a day for about 30 years. And Tarico was laughing his ass off, enjoying that. Mike Tariko sounded like he was thrilled that Chris Collinsworth was out here having to play hurt man. He had about every voice pun on God's green earth <laughs> dialed up for that broadcast.
2: I, know, I was, I, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, okay, so it's finally getting addressed after the internet was begging for him to get some T and a Recoli, uh, Recoli, but the you fact call it a that he did, he like bounced back, huh? Oh yeah, Recoli, no. excuse me, Recoli, Re-coli. <laughs> Different he did bounce back he did, uh, I don't know what happened at halftime Mike, but he sounded better than he ever did, and the fact that everyone was joking about it, I'm just like, wait a minute, I didn't love Jason Garrett's call at Notre Dame, I thought it was serviceable, I was like, uh, can we maybe, like, where are the backups? Because I don't want to sit here and listen to uh, Chris Collinsworth. It's like I it was listening to a podcast. Where one of the co hosts is just like struggling through things, i.e., our podcast. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Can we? Uh, is he listen, okay?
0: As someone who did a lot of Sunday morning radio with Stu Gatz violently hungover, I know oh, what man. that sounds like because it's come out of my mouth and it's come out of Stu Gatz's mouth. <laughs> and so I appreciate Chris going through it. It kind of in its own way. A little bit sexy, right? That low kind of like gravelly voice. Definitely like a week 1 thing. Definitely, definitely a solid week 1 kink. And I know it's cuz he was doubling up. He was on the thir- uh he was on the Thursday night yes. open, right? They were the ones that had yep. the Thursday night broadcast to open the season. So Technically two games in one weekend. It's not unprecedented, but it certainly is tough, especially when you're having a broadcast like that on such big games. But I just couldn't get over how thrilled Tariko was to poke fun at him. It was like Mike knew he was going to have more airspace and more time for him to lay out stories and talk, and he just could not contain his glee as a play-by-play who finally felt unleashed in a booth where usually you're deferential to the analyst.
2: Right, your 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 number got called as a play by play uh person. But I think Jason Garrett actually is the reason why the the Cowboys lost because if you remember at the beginning of that game, football time in America, everyone's making their picks, it was all Bucks action, Bucks, 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 and I was like, Oh shit. Cowboys about to pull up the upset because anytime they go chalk the other team always wins. Jason Garrett, being a former coach, being a former player for the Cowboys, had to had to go for his team, like Drew Brees pulling for the Saints against the Bucs. He was the only one who did that there, too. And, uh, you know, he I Honestly, think he though, started the demise.
0: That's a valuable public service, though. The last thing you ever want is a graphic with all one name on it. We all know it. You live to just get memed in the internet oblivion. So Jason Garrett did them a solid there, even if it didn't work out. Okay. I will say that. So, But you're right about Tampa. I, the thing that they did really well in this game, that again, I said Dallas was going to at some point personnel-wise just have a difficult time even trying to match, was they overcame and worked around their deficiencies, right? We yeah. talked all about how a new offensive line, especially in the middle, replacing all those bodies there in the middle would affect Tom Brady in the pass protection element of things, right? Oh, man, he's so bad when he gets pressured up the middle, like every other quarterback, yada, yada, yada. Well, they said, all right, we'll just run the piss out of this thing. We'll pull guys all over the place. We'll let these offensive linemen do the thing that every offensive line would prefer to do, which is go out and run the hell out of the ball. We'll let Leonard Fournette go wild in this game. We'll mix it up and throw jet motion sweeps at you guys. They tried to take the pressure off of that group, and it eventually allowed Tom Brady late in that game to start to get the ball to Mike Evans more. It allowed Tom Brady to work off play action and drop some really impressive throws and catches with Julio Jones, their new acquisition. And so credit to you know, this entire Tampa Bay attack because the defense certainly had a much easier job, I think, going up against a beat-up Dallas offense, but they came out there, did their thing on their end, and then Tampa just ground them into dust on the other side.
2: They did, Mike, and it's kind of what they they were known to do in the middle of the year. Like that's one thing we don't talk about as much as Tom Brady had amazing numbers last season and was MVP caliber and since he's gotten with the Bucks, they've had a pretty solid running attack. Like it was a Jones, like they, like they had a one-two punch for a while. Go ahead.
0: Well, no, I was going to say that was the story of the Bucks team the year they won the Super Bowl. That right. was playoff Lenny. That was that run where yeah, they ended up going and we all just thought Mahomes could out you know, Mahomes, everyone. And it wouldn't matter that the Chiefs didn't have an offensive line by the end of the season. But on the other side right. for Tampa Bay, that had been the story. They got to the playoffs, and they just decided they were going to wear people out up front. So, yes, that was absolutely the identity of this team. And now, while some of the names have changed, we know Todd Bowles is at head coach, Byron which yeah. still there as the offensive coordinator, and now really gets to be the only other collaborative voice with Tom Brady in the room. They went back and leaned on that heavy, given some of the personnel turnover they had had in those key areas up front and I thought it was really smart and it allowed them to go out there and listen they still had problems I mean you ended up uh your Donovan Smith your starting left tackle went down for a little bit in this game I haven't seen an update on him but your backup had some trouble with Micah Parsons like most people will but again, it was about mitigating the overall disaster that could have happened and then creating the opportunity for them to make plays. There's still things they're going to have to work against as better competition gets up there. But I thought they put together a very smart game plan knowing what they were facing and knowing what their deficiencies were.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like it was good to see Chris Godwin out there, you know, back from injury doing his thing. Uh, the ball got spread out like Tom Brady usually does. But. What I saw that was consistent over the entire league was the NFC fighting and clawing, not for relevancy, but to prove that they're not just going to roll over. Because it, it, you can break down the what the quarterbacks were able to do for the NFC versus the AFC, and that's a clear line distinction, Mike. It's like... The AFC guys are are going over 300 yards comfortably with multiple touchdowns and, and doing it by, by not missing a lot of balls where you see the NFC quarterbacks are really just kind of playing the whole game, right? It's like, like a college football game. It's like we got four quarters of this. Uh, like Alabama, Alabama against Texas. For some reason, you just knew that Alabama would, would – do the right things when they needed to just to get the win. And that's what it seemed like it was going on with the NFC. I, I I can see the struggle there, but it's going to be some good football
0: over there too. So Brandon, speaking of the rest of what we've got going on here, and we'll get to plenty more overreaction Monday coming off week one with Marshall in a bit here. It is Monday around these parts. That means we on the show that, enjoys all things and appreciates all things bachelor and bachelorette franchise and believes they're sports we give out roses on this damn podcast it is monday brandon you and i each get two roses apiece to give to whoever we deem deserving from over the weekend that performed in the world of sports or otherwise so i uh brandon if you don't mind i would like to start us off this week please with a very telling sign of how i think this season could go for the Pittsburgh Steelers, because Ooh. we said, when we talked to Dad at the end of last week, who believes that the Steelers will finish last in the AFC North, Yep, that prediction got off to a tough start as they upset True. the Cincinnati Bengals in the first game of the season. But part of the reason that happened and part of the reason why I said it doesn't really matter if it's Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett or whoever at quarterback. It could be me or you because Mike Tomlin's always going to be back there working his magic. And did you see the magic that Mike Tomlin worked heading into this game? There was a video that hit social media from their running back Najee Harris who said that Mike Tomlin gifted their entire team all black Air Force One Lowe's. The the official shoe of ski mask season and going out here and busting somebody's ass. Brandon, once they, once we saw that, it should have been a wrap. The line should have moved at DraftKings. It should have all changed right in that moment.
2: Yeah, you're right, Mike. I, th- there is something about black Air Forces that are intimidating. They're, they're the shoe of Detroit. Uh, to let you know just how uh, scary they can be. I feel you, and I, I. You sometimes you forget that this team is ultimately coached by Mike Tomlin because Mitch Trubisky looked bad. I'll tell you what. Like, he looked – and it was like what we talked about with Jess. I don't know if he's proven himself to be an average quarterback just yet because it's yep. pretty, pretty glaring. But did you forget about how buttoned up that special teams and especially the defense, the steel curtain is back. That was one of the things that was weird when Brim Roethlisberger ended his time at, with Pittsburgh. It's like, their DNA isn't this quarterback. Their DNA is the steel curtain from the defensive side of the ball. And I think they've gotten back to it.
0: Yeah, listen, there have been plenty of great quarterbacks in Steelers history. But something did feel very soothing about watching Minka Fitzpatrick take one to the house pretty early and then cap off the game block in a field goal. And you're right about Mitch. 21-38 to 38 for a buck 94. That offense stalled majorly in the second half. I felt like every time I looked up, somehow Cincinnati was back on offense with a chance to win this game. But right. can't overcome the bla- the uh, magic of black air forces. It's just a force stronger than most things that we <laughs> get to deal with. I know Mike Tomlin doesn't you know delve into the mystical or anything like that, and this is just about a practical ass whooping. But I appreciated that. First rose goes to Mike T and the black air force ones. What do you got, Brandon? Mike, I'm going to switch it up a little bit because talking about these NFC
2: quarterbacks, people did not expect the San Francisco 49ers to lose to the Chicago Bears. And the reason they lost to the Chicago Bears, not, was not just the rain and the elements over there at the field that, you know, soldier field that they want to put a dome over. It was Justin Fields. His numbers were not sexy at all, and I love it because of this. He was 121 yards, 8 for 17. But them two touchdowns and an interception. Mike, it was great to see just real football being played. Right? It was like it was almost like he was back at Ohio. State. is it you're shaking your head at me.
0: Brandon, because it was it's, in a monsoon. This is like my theory about snow games. Okay. That wasn't okay, real okay, football. Okay. It made it made for a cool picture. And you're right about Justin Fields. Like I'm not taking away the idea that a Rose right. should go to him because it was the same sloppy conditions for everyone out there and Justin Fields was able to step up and make a lot of plays with far less around him than Trey Lance has on the other side so I applaud Justin Fields was pumped for him he celebrated it but that kind of weather is not football weather they worked all week on game plans that were useless in that game largely because of the weather there.
2: That is what I'm talking about when I say you get a chance to watch football out there. Is it? Thank you for breaking it down. Is that all the shit that you had planned goes out the window, and we got to find a way to make the, the ball get through to the end zone, get good position, and find a way to win the game. And I think Justin Fields being a position where he had to throw everything out, of the, out the window at halftime and figure out how to win this game, that's when you get a chance to see the difference between Trey Lance and Justin Fields in the sense of, uh, the amount of snaps under the belt of actually making shit happen. Cause Trey Lance looked amazing as a regular football player out there, but Justin Fields looked amazing as a, as a quarterback out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to take too, too much away from this game just because of the elements out there. Like what's
2: winning, I, winning I, out of this game. You don't, you're not, you're not putting a, you're putting an asterisk for the negative on this. This is, this is a, a gamer thing for, for Justin Fields, in my opinion.
0: It's a great show for Justin Field. It really doesn't do anything negative for me with Trey Lance. I went back and watched this one again. Trey made a bunch of really impressive throws while we could still see on the camera when it wasn't wasn't when it wasn't monsooning. It is it's an overwhelming positive for Justin Fields. Love that journey for him. I am very worried that that franchise is going to ruin him by not protecting him enough. And so get, seeing him just able to survive and be happy is a win for everybody who got to watch this game. I was thrilled. True. Okay, I forgot to do this. Justin Fields, will you you
2: take this rose? Little silly-ass thing. Go ahead.
0: I forgot to do that, too. So, I'll do it better on this one here. And I will say, Le'Veon Bell, will you accept this rose? Wow. Did you you see the knockout? I did. So, for anyone that didn't, Le'Veon Bell and Adrian Peterson were part of a social media fight card at the Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles. It was the Social Gloves No More Talk card that was headlined Mm. by YouTube star Austin McBroom, a former college basketball player, and Nick Young, former NBA standout, a.k.a. Swaggy P., and influencer Minicon. I don't know who half those other people are besides Swaggy P, but they were the ones that apparently got Le'Veon Bell and Adrian Peterson to come out here and try and beat the hell out of each other in an exhibition that apparently only like 200 people went to. It sounds like it was pretty sparsely attended, but that didn't stop Le'Veon Bell from dropping Adrian Peterson in the fifth round with a right hand that absolutely sent AP to the mat. And Brandon, I was stunned. When I saw this fight card come out... (laughs) The sh- dude, the stories about age... And I understand age gap. Le'Veon Bell's 30. I think Adrian Peterson's sure. 37. But yeah. the stories you hear about Adrian Peterson, between the recovery from the ACL, just his natural strength. Kyle Rudolph, our friend and former teammate, was teammates with AP in Minnesota when he first got there. And used to talk about just how naturally strong this dude was. And so I mm. thought for sure the old man strength, he was just going to go out there and drop Le'Veon. But... He hit him with a tight two-piece and sent him packing quickly. So, uh Le'Veon Bell, uh, not going to be toting the rock anymore. And I don't know if he's still rapping, but apparently has these hands.
2: Yeah, Mike, I, I get really weird when I see uh, some of our former greats fall like this. And I say fall just to mean like a half to box. And I'm sure it's fun for them, right? Like Nate Robinson... When he uh, when he boxed and got knocked out by oh no he knocked out one of our kings didn't he
0: no nate no nate robinson got his ass added to that graveyard of terrible knockouts who was it that knocked him out i felt
2: like it was a no, it was a it was a football
0: guy i don't i don't remember to be honest i only remember whoever ends up on the canvas with simba photoshopped onto them in the ring that's true i think
2: it might have been a uh, regular basketball i think it might have been like darren darren williams or something like that. Uh, but yes, it, it's sad to see that the, our, our athletes are relegated to having to box for, for sport. But as long as they're having fun and knocking each other out. But Adrian Peterson is one of those guys. He's got those wild ass eyes that when he gets knocked out. <laughs> He looks even more like stumped or confused about what's going on. So it was a, it was obviously a terrible look for him. And Le'Veon didn't do himself any favors either. He's got he's got that he's got that weird a gait gant about himself. And after he knocked him out, he did a little strutting that just it just he didn't look great either, Mike.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, they're not boxers. They're out here, and he just happened to land the right blow. So. Gets a rose nonetheless because it entertained me on the internet and made for great meme potential. So, Brandon, you got the last rose of the day. Who are you giving it out to?
2: Uh, I'm going to stay with a Justin. Just going to Justin Reed. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Ass being a safety mm-hmm. and, and kicking, kicking his ass off. Like, I, I don't know why he had to. Justin Reed is a safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. He stepped in uh, for the, the kicker. Uh, when it comes to kickoffs and field goals today, an actual real ass game, and he was more than serviceable, Mike. It was almost as if I was—I I was thinking to myself, like, at what point in practice did this thing become real? Because he's doing a great job, and he doesn't even put on a, a kicking boot.
0: Oh, dude! So Justin Reed manifests this this off season. In a big way. He was posting these videos during training camp, letting everybody know, I've got this ability. And it was a viral like sensation. Everybody loved it. No one thought he'd ever actually have to use it. He's a safety they brought in here to replace the Honey Badger, for God's sakes. He had much bigger responsibilities right. on this team. But Harrison Butker, their starting kicker, rolled his ankle on one of the kickoffs early in the game. And so Justin Reed had to come in and bang a kickoff and made a PAT. Uh, And during the season, uh, preseason, yeah, he had hit a 65-yard field goal during training camp this season. So, he's got that. Young DBs, the more you can do. They talk about that for so many positions you want to be running the core for. Shit, kick, look at all the stuff Booby Miles did. He could do everything here, and apparently Justin Reed is cut from that same cloth.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you see how backups are important, Uh, the backup long snapper for... Uh, who, who was it that kept snapping oh, the it? Back, well,
0: the backup long snapper for the Cincinnati Bengals that was part yes. of two tough snaps that ended up leading to one missed extra point and another kick getting extra point getting blocked at the end of regulation that could have won them the freaking game.
2: It's the importance of the battery. If you don't know what the battery is in football, it's the kicker, the holder, the snapper. It's very, very important. Tony Romo used to do that for the Cowboys and mess things up uh, many a times back in the day. Uh, the battery is very important, and when you have a backup battery in there, when it's you know you got two Duracells and then you got a, a throw an Energizer in there, it's, you know the toy, the thing doesn't
0: work as well. I always am really cautious about mixing up battery brands, and I don't know why. There's no difference, but it feels different <laughs> to me, and I feel like the machine knows, which also is probably a message that we should send to the machines. Like, yeah, we're in charge yeah. of this right now. Don't think you right. can come up here and just Boston Dynamics us out of this place here. Built different. Throw you whatever batteries I have in the drawer. Deal with it. Right. We, we, can, we can
2: make you get fed fast food, too. You know what I'm saying? You, you're not going to be up to your peak potential.
0: You like how that feels? I didn't think so. (laughs) At Gojo Show on Twitter, if you got any roses that we missed from this weekend in the world of sports. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to former NFL veteran offensive lineman and friend of the podcast, Marshall Newhouse, about the rest of the overreactions from the NFL week one. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shot-fidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well, and I'll tell you right out of the gate. That's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, Marshall Newhouse with us here to react to uh, a very college football-esque feeling. First NFL weekend, Marshall. Is that <laughs> is that fair to say with the insanity that we saw and the tight finishes in so many of these games?
1: There was some amateur-ass fe- feeling stuff in the NFL and the professional ranks this week, for sure. I mean,
0: we can call it what it is. It was the it was the kicking. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was some amateur-ass <laughs> kicking that we saw on this weekend. When we walk out of an NFL Sunday where we saw the Bengals-Steelers game featuring doinks and block kicks in critical moments of this game, the ending of the Titans and Giants game coming down to a missed field, uh, field goal by Randy Bullock. And coming off the weekend firmly saying the only good kickers in the NFL may be Cade York, the rookie uh, fourth round pick for the Browns, (laughs) and Justin Reed, the safety for the Kansas City Chiefs, who had to moonlight when their kicker went down. That's a sad state of affairs right now and, and very quintessentially week one.
1: At least for now, the only good kickers are the one that you don't have to use.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it's like the purge. All kicking should be illegal for the next 24 hours. We'll go reverse purge <laughs> on the kicking. Mercury there. is in retrograde, heard. Yes. That, you know what? And it's a good reminder, everybody. You don't have to be accountable for this time period. You can just throw it up. <laughs> no, point responsibilities, to say, no. <laughs> it's all we got. It's all we got, man. It's all we got. But, uh, uh, Marshall, uh, take everyone through week one, especially. Uh, uh, we always hear talk about it. I've pointed this out. Week one really in the world since the 2011 collective bargaining agreement where the two-a-days are so much more limited. We've seen the approach to training camp change over the years. When you go and look around the league in week one, as a player, what are kind of your expectations and what's your mindset heading into this first game and really the first stretch of games?
1: Uh, Well, you mean as a player when I was current or as a player on the outside looking in now?
0: Uh, I would say let's start with a player as when you were on the field, when you were in pads, getting ready to go out there and play the game here. How did that look from your vantage point then before we get to now?
1: Yeah, I I I think it was just, you know, trying to get off on the right foot. Uh, There's a correlation between teams that start strong um, towards that are there around the end of the season. And we just wanted, you know, nothing was going to be perfect. You were hoping, you know, that you have guys with their heads on straight that could, you know, adjust to adversity because, the first week to me is, you know, then and now is just it's, it's roulette. It's uh, there's so much unknown. I mean, the scouting reports you got, you the only film you have to watch is of preseason. Half the guys aren't playing. Uh, we've got new coaches all over the league, new coordinators, new schemes. So you've got very limited information, and we just talk about you know being able to adjust uh, midstream on the sidelines, uh, adjust to momentum, adjust to you know weird things happening. We had a monsoon in Chicago. Who was ready for that week one? You know all these things that you're like, where everything's getting thrown in the wall week one to see what sticks. You want to be as, as as steady as a ship as you can and get out of there with a win because we have we know the season now a game longer. There's so much else that can happen, but starting strong is such an important important thing week one.
0: With all that kind of randomness built in there, do you think there's something about that that Gives new head coaches a little bit of a leg up just because of all the randomness. New head coaches this weekend were five two and one on yeah. the field. Is there anything to that, or is that still more randomness?
1: And no, it's new is always better, and you know those coaches have had have, don't have have anything to prove. No, they have things to prove. Meaning, um, but yeah, they they have less film. Uh, they have less people that know their their structure, how they approach games, how they approach you know decision making before the halftime at the end of the game there's not a sheet on them everybody you know there's limited information under the sun everyone's got a scouting report on you as a coach your tendencies all this other stuff so as yeah as a new coach you've got a uh, leg up on that and not to mention you've got this new energy in your building for better or for worse everyone's got a shot through bowl week one and with new coaches it's even that much more so where guys are like this is a new regime a new staff where everyone's amped up we, you know we're we're all, you know, hyping each other up through camp, and we've we set our roster, da da da, and everyone is still figuring out, you know, where they they're going to settle in. But there's just a, a element of surprise when there's a new coach; you just don't know what you're going to get.
0: I, I think that was probably nowhere on display more, and maybe some of this is recency bias because it was the last game of the afternoon. But <laughs> there's going to be a ton of focus on the teams in New York. We understand kind of how this works, and. For Brian Dayball, who had spent most of that game down trailing by about a score to the Tennessee Titans, to get down at the end, to go in for the score, and then to make the decision unflinchingly to go for two and Mm -hmm. dial up another play for Saquon Barkley, who had a monster game, that seemed like it was one of those things, trying to send a big message to a team that's battled through a ton. A quarterback and a running back who are both kind of feeling like maybe this is their last try in this city. And I think that's going to resonate pretty loud through the early going of this season that Brian D'Abel, who came over with all this great clout from Buffalo and the work that he had done with Josh Allen, now gets to look at this team and say, all right, hey, this is what I think of you, and this is what we can think. How much does that matter to you walking off the field if you're a guy on that team today?
1: I mean, that's huge. You know, We know Brian D'Abel has coaching experience, but not necessarily head coaching experience. He's been a coordinator with Belichick, Alabama, like you said, Buffalo. He's got experience. He's he knows this game. He knows what it's like on Sundays. He knows what it takes to win. Now, the the role of a head coach is more of a CEO. You're more of a, a delegator. But this guy understands what it takes. And so him reading the tea leaves, him reading the field towards the end of that game. Hey, yeah, we're down. Um, you saw, you know, Dan Jones try to back shoulder throw, uh, throws it late, throws it behind the receiver, throws a pick in the end zone, and he lights him up on national TV. He knows. Hey, we are not going anywhere if you, Daniel Jones, don't fix your turnover problem. That's a coach who knows what his strengths are. He knows, you know, you know. Daniel seems like a guy who can take that. Otherwise, you don't you don't undress a guy out in front of the team like that. But I think he has a good understanding, a good feel, and there's trust there that he knows what he's talking about. And like I, we were talking off air, I, the, the strategy of having been there to run the ball down in the goal line, make sure Tennessee uses at least a timeout. They use two. you're on clock off, off, um, off the, the, the scoreboard. You score your touchdown and then you just get a feeling. You're like, Hey, Saquon's having a monster game. The best game he's had in over, over oh, almost two seasons. Uh, Daniel, with all of his mistake prone tendencies, it's still a weapon down the goal line because of his legs, man, let's do it. Let's go for two. We're on the road. Uh, you know, the analytics nerds are just screaming internally um, because you get someone going for two at the end of the game and it, and it works out. You you see Ryan Tannehill, who's plenty good, but I wouldn't say two-minute drill is their MO, is the thing they do best. You leave a minute on the clock, one timeout. Now they get in field goal range, but you take those calculated risks because you know who you are, you know what your team is, and I think the Giants are excited about that. That gives them a little boost um, moving in into the season. And again, them specifically, they're in the NFC East, that division – It's rarely a a division that you're going to need to just blow the doors off. You got to stay in it, um, win the games you're supposed to win, upset a few people, but you're, you know, we've seen teams at 500 make the playoffs. And it'll, again, I think be a 9 10 win team that takes the NFC East. And so the Giants are right there. It's week one, but the Giants can be right there.
0: It is week one. And you're right. That's why we saw, listen, the back and forth battle between the Texans and the Colts that went to overtime that ultimately ended in a tie. I think you kind of saw both coaching staffs in their own way sort of realize, all right, as far in as we are at this point, had some risks to take at the end of that game. They've seen teams with a tie on their record have that benefit going down the stretch in a tight postseason battle and understood You can go out there and maybe – you can definitely go out there and lose it week one, but you're not Mm going to capture this whole thing in the first week, so you tried to just kind of cauterize the wound as best that you could, at least for them. Did you? Was that the most surprising result on the day? As we look around the board and see some of this, certainly the Giants are going to be up there, but the Colts with all the expectation – this was a team that I thought was going to win. I picked them to win the AFC South heading into this season, because I thought that combination of Matt Ryan and that offensive line, that running attack would be such a leg up with what he had in Atlanta. Was there any part of you? Did you think that was the most stunning result of the day? Or was there something? That was my number two,
1: actually, but it was up there. It was my number two. My number one, which we can come back to, was the way San Francisco played. Uh, Chicago, you know, Mm. they made it ugly. It was, there was rain. It was, they were at home. But I, 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 I thought Trey Lance, we were going to see the anointing, the beginning of the anointing of, of a guy that they spent draft capital to go get and all this consternation about Jimmy G and dealing him away and making it clean so he can just play and not worry. Well, he stunk it up. He stunk it up against the Bears. And so, yes, I think the Colts should be the favorite in that division. You get Matt Ryan coming from Atlanta with so much experience. You expect them him to kind of fall in line with the Colts, with the running game, the defense, and the the head coach, the staff they have. Um, But I have have a lot more faith in Levy Smith than most people do. I don't think the Texans will be a a great team this year. But the game that was more surprising, the result, was just the Niners just being inept in Chicago. I, I was not anticipating that.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right about Lovey, and Houston's done a really phenomenal job of turning what's like a roster full of the island of misfit toys. O.J. Howard going off after having everyone hand him off this offseason to somebody else, having multiple scores on the day. That was a resilient group last year, and I think that probably should have told us a lot about the DNA of that roster, too, at its core. is Man, if you were able to survive the storm last year with everything that went on (laughs) with that team, there was going to be plenty to hold on to there. I am with you on that 49ers-Bears game, though, and that's one that I think is going to be easy for a lot of people to write off because of the weather. I mean, by the end of that game, we could barely see the camera was so stuffed up with all the rain covering that thing. It was coming down in sheets. It was was disgusting, and I understand that's going to limit it to an extent, but it was the same conditions for both teams, and I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Man, I thought coming off the preseason that O-line for the Bears was going to get Justin Fields killed. I was worried about how this season was going to affect the rest of his career and his development because we've seen so many quarterbacks get ruined by bad franchises who weren't able to protect them. And I I still think that's probably a concern on a neutral field for the Chicago Bears. Like I don't think all their issues magically go away because you had a quarterback who managed to step it up. We knew he's got incredible ability, but – On that other side now, I can already hear keys clicking and people starting to wonder if we're going to see Jimmy G somewhere in the first half of the season if things keep going this way. And I don't think you can do that, to be clear. like I don't think you can go to him for anything short of an injury at this point in time with how you've set up and how you've tried to position this.
1: If you go to Jimmy G, that's a traumatic event for a lot of people. Traumatic for the fan base thinking they, they have a roster that's ready to win a Super Bowl. That's traumatic for Trey Lance. And that's traumatic for Jimmy G, who's like, let me just get to health and let me get to my next contract. Cause it's obviously not here. There's a lot of stuff that goes wrong. If you have feel like you have to turn to Jimmy G this year. But, you know, again, week one and th- no one has a monsoon simulator in their practice facility. So yeah, both teams are playing in it. Um and I agree with you about the Bears in the O line right now. Uh I I I I compare them to the Sandlot uh, kids with Benny the Jet as Justin Fields, where he's just making plays. He, we know he's going to show up. We know what he can do. Um, he was scrambling around. He, you know, his, his, He's going to be best until they really figure things out on the run, boots, rollouts, play action. Um, but he's just – he's that talented. We're watching it right now. He's going to keep them in some games. They're going to be a little pesky. Um, they're not ready yet, but, you know, for them to do that to San Francisco, the team that we just like, okay – Trey Lance, slide right in, super talented. Um, let's see what you can do under the Shanahan offense. Um, there's going to be some questions that need to get answered from week one to week two.
0: And I think uh, Elijah Mitchell went down pretty early in the second quarter, sometime around there in that game, at tough, running back for tough, them, too. Tough. So while we know Shanahan tends to roll rotate a bunch of guys through there, definitely not what you want to see early on in this season. But... All right, uh, Marshall, we know week one prime for overreaction, so I'm going to line up a few here, and you tell me looking overreaction Monday, Monday style back at the window of games that we had from this Sunday, what you think is right on, what you think is going too far as we look up and down here. Um, overreaction or not, Justin Herbert is the second-best quarterback in the NFL, and I'll leave a blank space at the first spot for whoever you want to put there if that's the case. No,
1: he's not. He, he's 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 here. Uh, you know, there was all that you know controversy when he got drafted, and the, the positioning between he and Tua. Um, it's it's settled now. I mean, he's he's the guy. Um, he's a physical specimen, but at the thing that I keep hearing um, and seeing is just how he's processing uh, reads in the passing game as a quarterback and the running the entire offense. And that's that even without his arm talent, without his size, without his legs, that's what gets a quarterback to propel a team forward and it seems like he has that and oh by the way he's an alien so that not an overreaction
0: yeah I I would agree I mean I think right now you can organize I would still probably put Mahomes and Allen right up above there but it's a pretty fluid conversation in that Mm. list maybe Allen just because of some of the overwhelming physical ability as a runner I mean He's he's built brick style like Cam Newton. I have you haven't yeah. seen many guys like that. Herbert's not far <laughs> behind, but. We've just seen so much of that hurtling. He's got a little more – We I, I was talking with Nate Tice uh, on this podcast about him. Justin Herbert, you want to see him. He's like the straight-A student in high school that you want to see get caught sneaking out every once in a while or get caught <laughs> sneaking a beer with his friends. Like He's so straight-laced, you want to see him cut it loose even a little bit more. And Some of those spots where he did today, some of the extra effort plays and the throws that he can pull off because of that ability were insane. So yeah. We, we want to see one, a little bit more of that dog in mean, him. Definitely, <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Josh Josh Allen confirmed dog in the chest. Justin confirmed. Field right now, I can hear some growling, but we're waiting to actually hear the bark. Josh Allen that. is
1: looking for, for opportunities to make the stink face because he ran you over or he stiff-armed you. Herbert's not there yet, but he has that ability. So if we can get, start getting one every two or three games where you're like, hey man, acknowledge that you're an alien, that you're a freak, and show somebody so we can all revel – and the ability for you to make people, other aliens in the NFL, look
0: stupid. Absolutely. Uh, Something to keep an eye on coming out of that game, too. Keenan Allen left that game with a hamstring injury, which is certainly of note, that receiver core. And really, injury around the Chargers. Like, man, we saw how potent that secondary played against Derek Carr in week one, making his life an absolute living hell. We just got to keep them all on the field now. I just don't want to, like, stare at this team too long because I'm always worried about injury undoing a lot of that. But – Let's move on to this one here, and we talked some about the Bengals cursory around there. Overreaction or not, the Bengals' postseason run from last year was a fluke. Uh,
1: that's an overreaction, but I will say that it feels like they're going to regress to the mean a little bit. They definitely overachieved. I mean, that was that was the them b- making that run and beating KC uh, in the way that they did They were playing out of their minds. Joe Burrow was playing out of his mind. Now that was a revelation because he was a a high, he was a a number one overall pick. We saw things that were like, okay, this is the Joe Burrow we think we're going to get. But the rest of the team were just they're just out of their minds. They they hit a power up in Mario Kart or something. I mean, most of the games. And then on on top of that, there's luck involved in football, and they just hit a string of just good play from the quarter, great play from the quarterback and their star players, Jamar Chase i mean defensive timely turnovers and and timely play and they were just all in sync it felt like a a destiny type of thing and so i don't think they're not that talented but again that was an overachievement so i think they're going to aggress to the mean a little bit
0: i i'd say because i you know i i don't think it's too much of an overreaction if you kind of change the connotation of the word fluke right because to me It was the most NHL or MLB postseason-esque run that we've seen where you get like a hot pitcher or a hot goalie and you're able to roll through in the way that they did. And they're still going to be crazy. Like Joe Burrow had four and he was the, according to ESPN Stats and Info, the second quarterback in the last 20 seasons to turn it over four or more times in the first half of a season opener five turnovers on the day for Joe Burrow, and they still should have won this thing were it not for a blocked extra point by Minka Fitzpatrick, who had the game of his life going for the pick six early in the game and then slamming the door late by blocking that extra point and forcing overtime. They still somehow managed to get back into this. Probably, I would say looking at that, Marshall, more of an indictment on Mitch Trubisky and what that Steelers offense ground to a halt as, especially in the second half with Matt Canada at the sticks. But Mike Tomlin bought that team, Black Air Force Ones, before this game for a reason. And (laughs) I can say, if nothing else, that move definitely paid off.
1: Yeah, Mike Tomlin made sure that they knew his ski mask season. We're ready to go. Um, And that's, you know, as a player, I always, I kind of dreaded playing division opponents right out of the gate. There's just so much familiarity there. There's just a heightened sense of this rivalry, especially in in that division in the AFC North. Uh, there's so much history there, and they play a different style of ball in that division. So getting them right out of the gate, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll roll that into you know Joe Burrow had a a, a career awful day, um, you know Pittsburgh was hanging on, and but since he was there, they were in a chance to win. That's you know a very blanket statement, but in the NFL. I'm trying to get to the place where I have a chance to win uh, the last drive of the game, at the end of the game. And that's technically what Cincinnati had. They had a chance at the end. And um, so, yeah, we're not going to overreact and say they were, anything was flukish. They just had a lot of luck last year, and they had a lot of guys overachieving. But they have enough to make noise this year. I mean, you, you don't just get rid of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase's um, production like, and act like that that was just something that's just not going to kind of rear its head again
0: and a lot got made of them adding you know four new starters on the offensive line between guys they brought over in free agency and the draft pick at left guard there to go along with jonah williams and I think for most people especially people that didn't play the position you just look at that and go all right well it was it can't be worse than the line was last year where he got sacked 70 times over the course of the season and the postseason but I mean, you've been a part of a lot of different lines. You've been a guy that's moved into them at different points in the season. Just how difficult is it to go out there and almost hockey line change that entire unit outside of Jonah Williams at left tackle and then get production week one? Joe Burrow sacked again, I think, six or seven times in this game.
1: Yeah. That's just not a given. That's, I mean, that's five guys who are having to operate on a high level at every single play. And, um, you know, that's just not something that you can do on short notice. And obviously they had offseason to, to work and stuff. And I think they will continue to get better. Um, Ted Karras the guy I played with um, is a very competent, good center. He, he's a great signal caller. He, he'll put you in the right position. Um, they're going to have to really just gel. And that coming, some of that is maybe the OC is just going to have to, Hey, until we all get our footing as an offensive line, this is going to, these protections are going to look a little different. We're going to have to throw more play action, more run cell. Uh, just, we're going to have to play, with the looks we give to pass rushers a little more so that we're not letting Joe as good as he is sit back there and be a sitting duck. And then as these guys get more comfortable, we'll open things up. They're still talented enough uh, with their outside receivers to make anyone pay. And so you might have to dial things back and take less chances, but more calculated chances um, than you are right now. And so it's just going to take an adjustment. And again, I don't think they're going to react again, Staying healthy is a big part of it, so you, you hope that everything on you know on their front line is okay, and you can stay consistent and get more reps. And also, uh, what did Joe Burrow have an appendectomy? I mean, that's not nothing. Um, you have guys missing time. There's just a level of communication that you just don't get unless you're out there playing and getting reps together. So I'll give them a chance. They're gonna they're gonna bounce back. They'll be okay.
0: I think that is interesting and worth noting. And we've talked so much about. Shortening the preseason, different teams approach to the preseason. And then what we kind of expect based off that early in the year, the Rams and Sean McVay are a team that we know doesn't play the starters in the preseason a whole lot there. So they come out opening night against a Buffalo Bills team that's the favorite for everything, MVP, the (laughs) Super Bowl, all that stuff. And there's some things that are going to look rusty here. The Colts, you could lump into that category a bit as well. We only saw that offensive group together a little bit. And there were some struggles in limited sample size during the preseason. And absolutely right. We saw Joe Burrow racing his team in sprints on the freaking golf cart at the end. The <laughs>
1: he was practice. running so, gassers uh-huh. on a golf cart. I don't know if I would have loved that or laughed. I can't imagine, but that's a sight for sure.
0: I think that's got to be based on how much you like Joe Burrow, right? Because <laughs> there are certain sure. teammates, if I saw them over messing around on a golf cart while I'm running my ass off, like if it was a kicker and not like a Justin Tucker kicker. Oh, yeah. You're probably going to have to hear something about that.
1: He's getting he's getting all of his clothes wrapped in, in tape and thrown in the hot tub and then frozen. Like there's something happening if there's a kicker doing stuff like that. There's no uh, way.
0: Did you ever actually do that to a guy? I
1: did not participate, but I saw it multiple times where we we a leave for a walkthrough, and who has the most time in the NFL locker room? It's kickers, punters, snappers, a lot of times backup quarterbacks. Uh, we'd leave for a walkthrough, we'd come back and s- a certain someone who you know just messed with the wrong person, their helmet, their cleats, or their street clothes separately wrapped in uh, ankle tape, thrown and wet it in a hot tub, and then put in a freezer, and so you have to let it thaw, and your stuff's wet. I mean, it's just a, it's a nightmare. And so, you know, I, I never saw someone get that done to twice because you learn your lesson.
0: Is there a name for that? Because it sounds incredible.
1: No, I don't know. I, I, I think someone should, should name it for sure. Um, in these days that we just don't condone hazing, but that's to me is, a, is a pretty feckless one that you know everyone can get behind.
0: Yeah, no one gets hurt, and you know what it is. If nothing, if it doesn't have a name, it's a message sent, and it's a message received. Like you said, more often than not, pretty early on here.
1: Better your clothes get thrown in the cold tub than your entire body against your
0: will. So how also that? very fair. That's a that's a fantastic point here. Nobody wants that life. <laughs> it was the pool. I was in the pool. Um. All right. Uh, overreaction or not, here the New England Patriots are going to finish third in the AFC East this season.
1: Not. Not. It's, you know, we all are just, we're creatures of habit. We have been watching Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots dominate both the division and the NFL for far too long. We just have no other perspective of viewing reality than the Patriots being good. And they're just not good. They're not talented. They're not as talented as the other people in the division. They're not as talented than they used to be. And on top of that, You've got a second-year quarterback who we had questions about, who overachieved a little bit last year, who we had questions about, who's now getting a play caller in his microphone, in his helmet, from two formerly uh, dispatched head coaches, um, one who was a defensive guy and one who was a special teams guy. We kept making excuses all offseason, like, they'll figure it out, it's Bill Belichick, and of course, they might. But for right now, we our eyes have we have to believe what our eyes are telling us and Matt Pat- Patricia speaking into Matt Jones' ear, both in the game but also all week. Like you lose Josh McDaniel who's who's a career guy at, at working with quarterbacks, working with play call as a play caller to Matt Patricia, who we can argue was not even successful as a defensive head coach, um is calling plays in your ear. So yeah, they're they're just not good right now. Um, I'm not sure what you change to make them competitive, especially with the leaps the Bills have taken. I mean, the Bills are on a warpath, and then the leaps that um, the, Mi- the Miami Dolphins have taken, and they're looking like if they keep Tua on a straight and narrow, Mike McDaniel's going to have them uh, competing in the playoffs. So, yeah, they're the third-best team. Uh, I, uh, luckily, you're in a division because the Jets are just going to jet, it seems like, but they are the third-best team in that division.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with Tua had a really impressive day. It wasn't over the top. He didn't set any records. But he went out there, and for a guy that Mike McDaniel and this front office tried to do everything they could for this offseason, bringing Teron Armstead over, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, all the speed in that room that they've got around him and the protection that they added there, he was able to operate within that the way he needed to. They're basically, I think, trying to get him to the point where he can go and be a high-level point guard. I don't know if Tua ability-wise at this point, post that catastrophic hip injury, is ever going to be fully the guy we saw in college that was tanked for Tua that we thought could be you know, the future All-Pro right. and the guy you do tank picks for. But based on what we've seen now, given an environment that's a lot healthier for him on offense, I feel like that can be a guy that, and I kind of phrased it like this going into the season with him and Jalen Hurts, since they were both in that uh, Alabama quarterback room together which of those guys have the better chance of being the starter for their team the following year. I said that would probably be Tua just because I still think high-end ability-wise and in that offense, he's got a chance to do more than Jalen Hurts, who I think is going to at some point this year hit a ceiling even with all the stability around him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think in general, uh, NFL coaching staffs, they like um, known entities. And as a quarterback, if you're a quarterback that can operate – in the, not as a top tier, we're not asking you to just to, to be Superman, but if you can operate as a, ma- a manager and a little bit, a manager plus, a manager and then use your God-given abilities to go make us a play and win us a game, if we can trust and count on that level of productivity every week, we're set because we know what to expect and then we can put pieces around you both in the offseason with talent and then as we game plan every week and as we play call. During, but if you're a quarterback that's like this, if you're a quarterback that you know is just going to throw the ball to the other team, we can't game plan. We can't be consistent with that. We have to have something that we can count on and that the re- we can shore up. If you've got you know the Dolphins had a, a lineman get hurt, we can shore up the line. We know where the weak point is. We we know this receiver's a little hobbled. We know the defense is, is maybe outmatched this week. If we know where Tua's bringing to the table, then the rest of that stuff falls in place. And the two that we saw today if we can get that to a maybe a little plus nothing superhero about it then uh, the Dolphins could be in a really good place
0: I agree I I think that's a fascinating team to watch now again I think that division belongs very firmly to the Bills but as far Mm. as what they can do outside of that and if they can draw blood on them this season because I think this really is about building towards more of the future down the road for the Dolphins um Marshall, mm-hmm. the last team I want to get to with you and really a game that I was most intrigued about on the day slate of week one in the non-prime time world was the Vikings against the Green Bay Packers. I had seen so many people. Mm-hmm. We talked to Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders on here. All the numbers folks have been really high on what Kevin O'Connell was going to be able to do in year one with this Minnesota Vikings team and the talent they've got in the receiver room. They go out pretty decisive victory over Aaron Rodgers in the pack 23 to 7 Is it an overreaction to say, I can basically write this off for Green Bay because they were missing so much of what they're going to be this season when their main guys are on the field?
1: Yeah, you, I mean, I think you can write it off purely just because of Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, he's, he's an older quarterback. He's a year older, um, a year towards whatever his retirement date is, but he's still Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah. We have to give him time to whip these receivers into shape. Literally, you lose Devontae Adams. You lose over the course of these years the lack of thought that it had to go into making plays in the game because he had this, you know, um, you know, he could look at a receiver and the guy knew what to do. The Randall the Randall Cobbs, the Jordies, all those guys, the Devantes. Even MVS, the guys that are were younger but had been there for a few years, that stuff is just hard to replace quickly. And so I believe they have enough talent to maybe make you know enough noise. But we, uh, you know, watching the game, there are just a few throws that Aaron likes to make where there's probably a run play called, but they have a tag in the play where he's allowed. You know, the receivers aren't necessarily run blocking; they're running a little quick route. He's allowed if he sees leverage. If he sees a, a one-on-one matchup, he likes to take that matchup. I saw a couple of guys that weren't even ready for the ball. And that's only due to them not being familiar with how Aaron you know, does things. And literally, I remember being in Green Bay and listening to a younger receiver be like, if you're not paying attention, looking in when you're out on the line of scrimmage, there are such subtle signals that you will miss if you don't know what you're looking for. And that's how Aaron, that's the level that Aaron's been at. For, for 17 years. Well, you've got these guys that just came out of college that, you know, that they were used to every play looking to the sideline for a coach to give them a signal. And there, it's just a, such a wide gap of execution. And we saw a couple drops. I mean, he got on them this offseason about drops, um, that kind of stuff. Even if they have the talent, um, that takes a little bit of time. And Aaron is a guy that doesn't have time. That's why he got on them uh, publicly. He's not a guy that doesn't, that, does that just for the fun of it. He was doing it intentionally because uh, he's like, I need to bring these guys along. But um, not only that, like I said, I mean, again, another division game. These are tough games. Uh, Kevin O'Connell's offense, it looks like it would be more versatile, more multiple. And, you know, what a smart guy he is to feature Justin Jefferson. Hey, let's get this guy the ball a little bit more often. He was a statue last in the last offense. Let's move him around, motion the ball, motion him around, and get him the ball, and he goes for 180 yards and a, a t- touchdown or two. I would expect more of that from Minnesota, but I also expect Green Bay. This seems like their floor just because there's so much uh, to catch up on from a receiver quarterback relationship standpoint.
0: Nine for 184 and two touchdowns for Justin Jefferson. He's got five Ooh. games with a buck 50 receiving. The only player with more 150 yard receiving games, 23 or younger in NFL history. <laughs> is Randy bleeping <laughs> Moss, according to ESPN stats and info. So, is that a
1: high score? Did I, did I break the game? Is that is high? That
0: ba- is, that good? is that bad? Did I, did I break the game? It, it was wild. I felt like every time they put him in the slot and ran, you know, uh, what Y-cross, bringing him across the field left to right, every time he was open, it was like that was a fundamentally new concept to Green Bay, whose defense, and I think right. that may be as surprising as anything. I know a lot of this is yeah. complimentary. And an offensive line that's missing David Bakhtiari still, who is back in practice but not active for this game, and missing Elton Jenkins. Had to lean a little more heavy on the short passing game here, replacing Devontae Adams. Like you said, Alan Lazard also not in for this game. Yeah. Like you saw at the very yeah. beginning, Aaron couldn't have handed the ball to Christian Watson yep. any more clean than he did on that go ball in the game. And as soon as that went through his hands, you knew this might not be a great day. But even still, I was a little bit surprised On the back end, just how wide open some of those guys from Minnesota were against a Green Bay team that spent all last few years. I mean, when they were drafting Eric Stokes and those guys in the first round, and we were all freaking out because Aaron wasn't getting first round offensive help the way we all thought he should. I was like, oh, Brian Gutenkunz is building the war chest on the defensive side here. And like we talked about with the offensive line, not everything can be a quick fix in week one, but. I, I still am with you. I, I think when you start to get more of those pieces on the field and you get these guys a little more time with Aaron chewing them out day in and day out, that message isn't going to take <laughs> long. You're not going to need a frozen ball of clothing uh, stuck in the freezer after being in a hot tub to hopefully get this message across.
1: Yeah, Aaron's got a new haircut, a new style, and hopefully he's chewing a little bit more uh, rookie rookie ass out just to get them ready to go.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how quickly the effects of DMT wore off on Aaron. He looked stressed on the sideline.
1: <laughs> he didn't have a slow drip. Yeah, He's I- like, he he like, which just- of these
0: bottles has my ayahuasca in this shit? <laughs> uh, it was it was that kind of weekend. Also, that kind of weekend for me. 0-5-1 on the picks for your boy that I handed out on uh, oh, Friday. Man. So oh, we're going to have to get back to the drawing board. Assess the damage a little bit. I might start fading myself this next week. We'll see if that can potentially turn the tides around here. But uh, Marshall, man, in the meantime, we appreciate all the help on this one. It was a chaotic first weekend. Uh, a lot to try and parse through. But uh, thanks for helping us try and make sense of it, man. Hopefully, uh, I can avoid you ever having to put my clothes into that weird ice ball from hell, and we can keep this moving.
1: Well, we got to motivate you to to pick better. So there might be a punishment at the end of things. So we'll start. I'll start thinking about it. <laughs>
2: All
0: right, Brandon, I know we said that we'll uh, get to most of our college football talk tomorrow because there was so much of it, and the job search for Nebraska after they decided to fire their head coach, Scott Frost, and give him all $15 million of his buyout in the process. Remember, Part of that was brought down, took a pay cut coming into the season, pulled the Jim Harbaugh move. We got that, AM, the Texas Alabama game here. There's there's plenty of big picture college football stuff. For anyone that worried ever about what, you know, you know, we'll get to it tomorrow. Plenty of people worry and whine and complain about the playoff stuff. I understand that some of the teams who lost this weekend would still be in the playoff hunt when we have an expanded playoff, but I don't think that would minimize the shock value of watching two teams from the Sun Belt take down two top ten opponents for the first time in a long time. I had someone tell me that this was the first time that Notre Dame, um, that Notre Dame, Texas A&M and Texas or one of the other big schools had all lost on the same day since like 1936. So it was an unprecedented weekend. I butchered that stat. The whole point is we'll get to unpack a lot of that tomorrow, but we did want to address the Notre Dame-sized elephant in the room since you and I are both alums of Notre Dame, since we've talked a lot about this season and what was expected on this podcast. And now we get to kind of take a second here to pause and catch our breath because Notre Dame is now 0-2. They lost to Marshall this weekend. At home, it was supposed to be Marcus Freeman's coronation day and his first day in South Bend. Marshall beat number eight Notre Dame twenty-six to twenty-one, and it was a tough watch in a ton of ways. There's no two ways about this. And said earlier on the podcast that Marshall team deserves a lot of respect. They have worked the transfer portal, made over that roster. Their best player, I think, in Rasheen Ali, is still not with the team for personal reasons. It was a lights-out, sensational run, running back for them last year. Henry Columbia's a guy that had been at Utah State and been at Texas Tech and played a lot of big-time football. So none of these guys were afraid of the moment. But on the other side for Notre Dame, it left everyone with a lot of questions now. Marcus Freeman, 0-3 as a head coach, going back to the bowl game that he coached technically becomes the first Notre Dame coach in history to lose his first three games. I think it's kind of dirty pool to use the bowl game. I, I think that's such a different thing than starting your regular season 0 and 3, which listen, I mean, right. Cal's not going to be a slouch on defense, and Notre Dame's offense has struggled mightily, so we can't take anything for granted at this point, Brandon. And and that's kind of my point now after watching that game. Because obviously I was frustrated like a lot of people, but the thing that I was kind of able to recenter on is all right, looking at where this team struggled, thin at wide receiver, didn't have a lot of guys who could find their way to get open besides Lorenzo Styles. Green at quarterback with Tyler Buckner, who was a big part of the running game, still kind of figuring out the passing game, and might have an injury, had a bit of an injury to his shoulder after the game, still kind of waiting to hear more on that. And the offensive line is struggling to come together in a way that I thought would happen a lot faster given the talent and the coaching. But, all that being said, those are very real foundational issues right now that Notre Dame is trying to work their way through. And they're doing it with a new head coach and a young quarterback, like I said. A lot different than when I think a lot of these same problems existed a year ago in some of the same areas... Where we just had an experienced head coach and a veteran quarterback in Jack Cohn who had transferred in from Wisconsin. And so looking at the circumstances around all of this and understanding these aren't problems that have a quick magic fix. Notre Dame fans, I understand no group of you. It's not a monolith. There's a lot of Notre Dame fans in a lot of fashions. But I felt like there were way too many people that were freaking out and wanting to burn it all down now. I understand it doesn't feel great. 42 straight wins against unranked opponents is now a stat that is gone for Notre Dame. There had been a consistency in South Bend that was unparalleled in our lifetimes, Brandon. Going to be 33 years old at the end of this month. The stretch that we had in the last six to seven years was the most consistent stretch of Notre Dame football in my lifetime. And the most top-end success that they had had, that streak that we were talking about was behind basically alabama ohio state and georgia like they were in rarefied air when it came to the consistency that they had had atop this sport obviously without being able to break through to that upper crust all of the goodwill that marcus freeman banked in the offseason by doing everything right should not just go out the window after two games in this regular season. Because again, I separate that from the bowl game. And all the people that were excited to see Tommy Reese come back and say, I'm not leaving, and all that stuff, and all the rah-rah stuff that went on when Brian Kelly left this team in December shouldn't go out the window right away. You can be frustrated and want to see things change and get better, but to then say you just need to start ripping out parts for that to happen is trying to find a simple solution for a problem that is anything but. And so... I would just encourage everyone to take this moment, and I know this is how I'm going to approach it, to understand that now the framework of how we view this can change. The fringe playoff hopes and all the stuff that people wanted to hold on to after the Ohio State game, understandably, is now gone. With two losses, you don't get invited to that party in the current 4-T format. That's not how it works. And so, now this season is about trying to develop those areas, giving this coaching staff time, And giving Marcus Freeman time to figure out how they go about and do this as this staff. Not a staff that had a lot of the same pieces involved with a different head coach as this staff. And if you believed in all of the people that were a part of that process already, then I don't know why two games in is when you pull the ripcord now. I understand Tommy Reese, who's the one that draws the most ire, has been around longer than that. I will again say I think he has proven his worth in a number of different forms and fashion over the last couple of years that would say that that would also be premature. We don't have to sound so unhinged trying to burn it all down after two games and really one game that was the upsetting result. The Ohio State game, by and large, outperformed expectations based on who that team is. This one was just you know splash of cold water. But... After two games, shouting burn it all down makes you sound like crazy people. It sucks. We've gotten used to winning a lot. Deal with it. This is what happens. College football is insanely cyclical and the whole idea of hiring Marcus Freeman was an investment in your future and kicking through a ceiling that had existed, even if that meant sacrificing a little bit of con- you know, of that continuity in the interim right here. So that's really all I wanted to say. Just everyone take a breath. I know I said this last week and I know it feels harder to do this week, but I think it's more important to do now. So don't tweet wild shit at coaches or players or anything like that or start calling for people's jobs right now. Look at what happened to the rest of the weekend. To coaches who have been at their school a lot longer than Marcus Freeman's been at Notre Dame. To coaches who have been head coaches a lot longer in college football than Marcus Freeman has all of three games right now and the results that they've got. it. He and this staff deserve a chance to go out here and try and develop this team and they were doing it in a wild crucible of expectations and where that they had been and now there's some relief of that and part of me thinks that might be the best thing for this football team at this juncture based on some of the stuff they have to work on
2: that's a good way to think about it Mike and it's a good way to approach it and kind of remember that each college football season isn't in a vacuum this is Marcus Freeman's first year it, it, was, it was tough to see, and I guess it, that was the whole thing. It was surprising. You know, we saw we saw how, how well we did against Ohio State. Like you said, let's not throw out the fact that Marcus Freeman was doing all the right things up until this point. But this loss to Marshall, Mike, is going to sting the way all the rest of them did and all the rest of them do. But I think there's a reality to the situation that— Maybe we shouldn't have been ranked as high starting in the at uh, the, the beginning of well, the season, and, and I say that I say that a lot, and I know that well, that's yeah, not fair. I, it's not. That's not. A, that's not the. That's not the point of it, and that's not the. That's not like a, a buyout or a bailout. But our team isn't as prepared or complete as a lot of people thought they were.
0: Well, listen, preseason rankings again are largely just a TV construction. They're there to make numbers that go sure. ahead of teams that look good to put up there. We don't know a lot lot of these teams. College football is a wildly chaotic scene and we learn a ton in the first few weeks. And we have learned some things about this Notre Dame team. And that's not to say that this might continue all season long and that maybe they won't get their act together soon, but now we can reframe the expectation and all just calm down a little bit in the response. There's no excusing the Marshall loss, Brandon. That's not what I'm trying to do here. It's an inexcusable loss given where we've been as a program and what we thought the floor was on this team. Everyone understands that. Marcus Freeman and this team understand that. But on the other side, it doesn't mean we have to have a knee-jerk reaction that just says shut the whole thing down and start fires everywhere. And that's felt a little bit too much like the energy. Again, I'm not going to say it's all-encompassing and it's the entire fan base or anybody else, but it's just a reminder we can weather this storm. Notre Dame fans who are my age, you've been through this before. Plenty. Notre Dame fans that are older than me, you've lived through even more stuff like this. Harder than this when it comes to sustained losing. We've had it good for a while. And unless you're Alabama... Forever doesn't keep going forever. This kind of standard doesn't last two decades at the top of the sport. It's not how this thing works. And so we absorb this right now with the understanding that we had this hire come in and Marcus Freeman got this job with the hopes of being able to try and push us through based on all the other things that we've seen so far. So... Again, we'll we'll let Spencer Hall come in here tomorrow and likely get a lot of laughs in at our expense because he's the one person that even as Notre Dame became likable this off season was not going to bite on it. And so, I, I I'm gonna let him take his victory lap in the name of fairness on this podcast. But he's a that's
2: he is a smart man. He is a smart man. I I, I do I do feel responsible in a way because this loss feels like a result to how much I enjoyed LSU losing to Florida State. Like, I feel like I laughed too hard. I feel, you know, everyone always tries to put it on them. I feel like I was, I, was, I, I took too much joy in the LSU's loss to Florida State,
0: and, you know, I feel like this is a result. It's a reminder, man. You can't worry about other people so much. We all got our own stuff going on right now, and True. don't hold on to the things that don't serve you anymore. It's just worthwhile advice for life. You guys can take that one. Doesn't even cost you a nickel. That's free. Brandon, you know what feels like it's almost free sometimes? What's that? Knock around sunglasses and their incredible savings Ooh. on high-quality polarized shades, Brandon. They cost right around $30 a pair. I don't know if you've heard that before. Do It's they? an incredible deal. They do, Brandon. And yeah. they got a lot of options, too. 15 different frames, a ton of different colors. You got something for everybody here. I know Notre Dame fans might not be feeling great, but that doesn't mean we need to dial back the spirit. You can still get a pair ready for game day when Notre Dame takes on Cal or any other colors there. You can customize the front, the arms, the lenses, the logos. There's over a billion possible combinations in the Knockaround Custom Shop. You can get all of that action, go out for a run in these. Runner's World Magazine named them a 2021 Editor's Choice. They're awesome. And Knockaround's high-quality polarized sunglasses – are truly affordable, and we're gonna make them even more affordable. So go check out their huge range of shades at knockaround.com, and when you go to checkout, use the promo code GOJO and get yourself 20% off. Again, sunglasses that already cost around $30 a pair, you go to knockaround.com, find a pair you like, use promo code GOJO, it'll get you 20% off at checkout. Because we love you, and we care about you, and we wanna see good things happen for your face and your fashion. Brandon. With that being said. Yes. Do you know what time it is? I do.
2: And it's lucky for me you understand what a girl wants, what a girl needs. Whatever makes me happy and sets me free. And I'm thanking you for knowing exactly this, that, and the third, this, that, and the third. Whatever keeps you in your arms, and I'm thanking you for giving it to me. This ain't third. This ain't Whatever keeps you in your arms.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm always afraid to jump in at the end of that one. There, I'm done. Done. You feel good? Coming off the weekend, man. You're rolling in there strong. It's week I one. You got a lot of jitters to work out. What a girl wants is always a good choice. No, it's just Christina,
2: Christina Aguilera. You gotta, I, I really want to do uh, uh, Moulin Rouge, but there's just there's too many voices. There's a lot of things going on. It's a, it's a collaborative effort. Maybe one of our duets.
0: Exactly. I know the people have been clamoring for a duet, and we hear you. As always, download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Five-star rating. Leave us a review. Tell us the songs that you like to hear. We promise we're going to deliver on one of those duets again sometime soon. But in the meantime, Brandon, let's get to this. Uh, the U.S. Open, we spent a lot of time covering. We had Serena Williams playing in her final tournament as a professional. We had Coco Gauff hanging around for a while. And then on the men's side, we had Francis Tiafo, the 24-year-old American, friends with Bradley Beal, had been fun, exciting addition to this Open, made it further in the tournament than we had seen from any U.S. man in quite some time. And unfortunately, on Friday night, he was dropped, By the, and I was almost going to say man, the young man who became the eventual Grand Slam champion at the U.S. Open. Carlos Alcaraz becomes the youngest world number one in men's tennis history. He goes out and wins the U.S. Open final. Brandon, I didn't watch a minute of that final, but I can tell you I watched every square second of that matchup with him in the semis against Francis Tiafoe. And the number one thing I came away from is I forgot just what a superpower being nineteen can be, because Francis Tiafo is not that much older right. than him. Like you gotta think about it now, cause we did all this with Serena. If I got beat by a nineteen year old at something now, I expect that shit. You have got True. way less mileage on your body. You've got all yeah. the perks of youth. For Francis Tiafo, being twenty four and get beaten by a nineteen year old has to piss you right off cause you're close enough for him being a teenager to matter. But I looked at the end of that match where Francis Tiafa was sweating like me, had to change his shirt two or three times, is soaked to the bone, and they keep going to the other side, and this 19-year-old mountain of a young man Just refuses to sweat. Like, I don't know if he's like a dog and he regulates temperature by panting or what, but I was concerned. I thought his internal organs were going to overheat. And no, like the Terminator, like the T1 9000 or whichever uh, fucked up Terminator that was, he just kept on chugging along and it was terrifying to watch. So, congratulations to him. Please don't hurt me and congrats on being the youngest world number one in men's tennis history.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, Mike. I watched that game. I watched that match, I should say, and it reminded me of watching anime. It honestly did. It was like, uh, like if, you, if you remember Naruto, and everyone has their, their different houses that they come from and their specialties, and then as the game, or as the match goes on, somebody like, takes off ankle weights that when they take them off their legs, they go, fall through, through the ground. Like this I, guy. I know, the,
0: this, I know the scene you're talking I, about. I've watched that scene on YouTube so many times. It's so sick
2: bro and that that character's name is Rock Lee. Alcaraz, where everyone else is very like special and has all these powers, this guy Rock Lee just is a regular dude who's just trained harder than everyone else. He's like the Tom Brady of Naruto uh minus, you know, cheating and botox. But so this guy was so special and I, it was like I was watching like I said, an anime fight, Mike. Tiafo was doing things that was we could celebrate as a, from America. KCP was there celebrating uh, talk about. He's obviously not having home arrest, uh, house arrest things anymore. But. It was so much easier for Alcatraz to do what he was doing. Yes. it was just so much easier. He, he looked like he was having a lot more fun doing that while Tiafo was like serving up aces just to get a point. Like, dude just wanted a volley and, and just wanted to have fun kicking the ball around until he just, like, did something honestly crazy, like a 19-year-old would do in a space where older people are operating. And we're like, who's, who's, where's this guy from? We don't know his name. Like, I would like the dub subtitles things. Like, it felt very, like, world indie the way Alcatraz came out here just kind of just shit I, on Tiafo.
0: I, I did that so many times where I thought about I, I almost called him Alcatraz just because of the I'm doing close proximity to that it was damn impressive though that kid I mean I understand he's 19 and he's not of legal drinking age but all I could think of was man I'd kill to have that turnaround time again because he had played a bunch of really long matches back to back and the miles just did not add up so congratulations To Carlos Alcaraz for winning the U.S. Open, becoming the world's youngest-ranked men's number one. Absolutely insane tour de force in the U.S. Open by him. Brandon, let's get to that. Totally on the other end of the age spectrum. Albert Pujols hit home run 697 on Sunday. Hit the home run uh, in their game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. uh, Ended up being, I believe, a go-ahead home run late in that game. And for Albert Pujols, he now passes Alex Rodriguez. He's fourth all-time on the home run list. He trails Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, and Babe Freakin' Ruth. So, this is a pretty important home run ball. Hits the ball out of the park here. A fan named Matt Brown was attending the game with his wife, Samantha. They were the ones that caught 697. And so usually you have the ball make its way back to the person who hit the home run when we start to get to this rarefied air. And so Pujols got back there and he didn't just sign any autographs. He went and actually met up with the fans for a little bit and talked to them. And he found out that Samantha had had her father pass away a year ago to the day and had come out to the ballpark that day anyway. And so Albert Pujols decided to let them keep it. They caught the home run ball. Albert Pujols signed the ball, gave it back to them, said it would mean more to them than it would to him right there. Real cool and classy move from Pujols, who we know has been celebrated a bunch this season. We had the moment at the All-Star Game in the home run derby for him, and he's caught fire a little bit in the back half in a way that now makes 700 a veritable certainty. And for how much I'm sure that accomplishment in this season have meant to him, knowing that this is probably it, pretty cool moment there to recognize the bigger picture and and try and make someone's day a little bit better yeah i I think
2: obviously it's special but what's more special than a rod going down a peg on the home run list i don't really i don't really i can't really tell you what's 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 better than that
0: simple things in life that can sometimes Mm -hmm. find a way to bring you joy brandon and you know what honestly that's why i want to finish off with this is the third Because, Brandon, while Notre Dame didn't win on the field over this weekend, we got a win in the NFL as our guy Quentin Nelson got himself dumb-paid by the Indianapolis Colts before the start of the weekend. The All-Pro guard signed a record-setting four-year extension with an average annual value of $20 million that includes $60 million guaranteed. Makes him the highest-paid guard in the history of pro football. He was the sixth overall pick in 2018. He was robbed robbed of the Outland Trophy by Ed Oliver. I will maintain that until my dying day that while Ed Oliver was a great player at Houston and has been a great player in Buffalo for the Bills, that was an absolute crock of shit. And that award belongs on Quentin Nelson's mantle after one of the more dominant seasons that we had seen from a college football offensive lineman. But pump for Q. It's nice to know that the two best guards in pro football both wore gold helmets at some point with him and Zach Martin. So congratulations to Quentin Nelson. You're buying dinner if we're ever out in the same place again and it's not even I'm not even gonna reach for the wallet. I'm not even gonna do the thing where I like fake it. I, I like just, I'm, not, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna waste our time.
2: I, I, I there's something odd and but also right about the Colts having the best guard in the NFL. Again. Like kind of brings me back to like obviously it was a center, but Jeff Saturday days, like back when the Peyton Man like it's just it's nice it's nice to, the, the 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 Colts Got them
0: one on the O-line. I'll never forget, because we had this conversation with Dad about Jordan Davis, where he laughed and said to Jordan, like, we technically played the same position and realized how ridiculous that sound. I'll never forget Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey, who's the starting right tackle for the San Francisco 49ers, and is a 6'8 mountain of a man. As is Quentin. Like, Quentin is all beef. He's got a yoke the size of a cow. But... When they were still at Notre Dame, I walked back into the weight room when those two were working out and by that point I had finished playing football and I was already working in the media and I walked in while they were in the middle of a workout and they both came off of the platforms where you would do like cleans or deadlifts or something like that and they were in cutoffs and they walked over both in the middle of the pump and I realized that Again, technically, Quentin and I played the same position. He was a left guard at Notre Dame, and I was right guard at Notre Dame. And if those two wanted to stuff me in a locker right then and there, I would not have been able to stop them. Like, I always joked, if I wanted to go out there and try and put the fear of God into someone on the field or try and put everything I had into a hit and take them out of the game, I could try, but it probably wasn't going to happen. When Quentin wants to, it happens. If he wants you done, you're done. And we've seen it time and time again happen, so... It is. Uh, he is one of the more impressive physical specimens in the NFL, and he's been a guy that was three straight all-pro teams before he got banged up last year. I'm sure he'll be right back at it again this year, protecting Matt Ryan and paving the way for Jonathan Taylor and being one of the most talked-about offensive linemen in the NFL, which is a hard thing to do.
2: Yeah, no, of course. A quick anecdote, when I, I met him while he was at – he came through Barstool to be on part of my take, and I just you know, saw him, he came in, I introduced myself, and he was like, what, who, you know, who, what? I don't know you. You, went to, you played Notre Dame, huh? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, okay, well, it was nice meeting you, and like ran to my desk, and I was like, okay, that's the last time I talked to that man. He's uh, very scary, and I must need, I, must, I need to have someone else around me who he knows to, to try, start that conversation again, because that didn't feel good. And I was like, oh, he's, he's, he's the real deal.
0: That was when you knew this man is destined for great things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he
2: ain't got time for my ass. This guy is
0: important. L- literally, figuratively, metaphorically, and spiritually built different. That's why yes. he's paid different. We hope you guys are in your own way paid different at the end of this long podcast and that has somehow enriched your life. Not as clever a segue as I've ever had, wanted to or executed, but shit, it's week one forever. I love that. Say it out loud. As always, download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you leave us a five-star rating and a review. Keep those coming in. They help. They let people know they should be stopping and listening here. You can do it on Spotify. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them. Also, make sure you go over to the YouTube channel. That's the DraftKings YouTube page. Subscribe. Check out the Gojo with Mike Golo Jr. playlist. Give a couple of those thumbs up on the videos. We greatly appreciate it. Have a good one. Enjoy Monday Night Football as we have got revenge game action coming up. Russell Wilson going on the road with his new boo, the Denver Broncos, to take on the Seattle Seahawks. We'll have plenty on that in college football tomorrow. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you then.